Today's scripture comes from John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another." You may be seated. Thank you, Jess. As we get seated, let me pray for us. Gracious God, may we abide in you, and may you abide in us. May we abide in your words, and may your Spirit help us to make sense of your words, to apply your words to our hearts. And may your Spirit be with the kids downstairs, with the leaders and the teachers and the volunteers, that we as one church would get a glimpse of your beauty today. And we pray especially for Christ City Surrey as they meet right now for their launch, uh, for the launch of their plant. Today, Lord God, would you be with them as well, that you would do a mighty work in that neighborhood for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Sam. I'm on the team here. I'm at my welcome to Kendra's welcome. It's so good to be with you, each of you here this morning. Today, we're going to be, uh, just give you an idea of what we're going to be doing today and next week. Next, next week, we're going to be starting our new sermon series in the book of Jonah. But for today, we're in our second of two sermon series to kick off the fall. And so as we kick off the fall today in our second of two kickoff sermons, today we're looking at John 15. John 15 is this wonderful passage that comes as Jesus is approaching the end of his life. Jesus has had this ministry where he's healed and taught and preached in front of thousands upon thousands of people. But now, as he's about to be arrested, as he's about to be crucified on the cross, it's just him and his closest friends. And it is 
with him and his closest friends in this intimate setting, as the end draws near, Jesus prepares his closest friends, his new disciples, for a new beginning for them. The beginning of their life without Jesus on earth. And as Jesus prepares them for this new beginning, he gives them three things to hold on to. And these are the same three things that we, as followers of Jesus, are to hold on to as we live the Christian life. As we, as we prepare for the, for the busyness of the fall and new rhythms and new routines and, and new everything, as we carry, carry into the fall perhaps some of the weight, some, perhaps some of the anxiety, perhaps some of the uncertainty from the, pre, from the seasons past, three things for us to hold on to, who Jesus is, who we are in Jesus, and how we are to live in Jesus. Who Jesus is, who we are in Jesus, and how we are to live in in Jesus. So to our first point, who Jesus is. In verse 1, Jesus opens up by describing himself. He says, I am the true vine. The image of the vine is an image used throughout the Bible to refer to God's people who were supposed to honor and glorify God by bearing fruit. But God's people failed to bear fruit. Instead, they dishonored God. They disobeyed Him. They failed to bring Him glory. So when Jesus says, I am the true vine, He's pointing back to all those passages written hundreds and thousands of years ago. And he then pointing to Himself to say that He's the one all these passages are ultimately pointing to. He's the one who finally does what God's people were supposed to do. He is the true vine. He's the one who gives life. He's the one who bears fruit to honour and glorify God. But that's not all. In these first few words in verse 1, we need to notice two other things. The first is this. Notice how absolute Jesus' statement is. He says, I am the true vine. Not, I might be the true vine. Not, depending on your point of view, some of you might possibly, perhaps, view me as the true vine. No, Jesus is making an absolute, objective truth claim. I am the true vine. He either is or he isn't. It's not up to us. He either is the true vine or he isn't the true vine. And in our culture today, we're afraid to make such objective truth claims, aren't we? We're afraid to say that anything can be absolutely true. We'd rather say that everything depends. We'd rather say that might be true for you, but that isn't true for me. Christ City, that's not what's going on here. This passage is challenging each of us because Jesus is making an absolute objective truth claim about himself. And it's either true for all of us or it's true for none of us. It's either true for all of us or it's true for none of us. And our role is to decide, is Jesus who he says he is? Is Jesus who he says he is or is he not? One author put it this way, Jesus is either liar, lunatic or Lord. One of these three things. He's either lying about who he says he is or he's a lunatic, meaning he's crazy. He's convinced he's someone he's not. Or he truly is who he says he is. It's one of these three. It can't be anything else. In making these absolute truth claims about himself, Jesus is calling us to consider who he is. But more than that, he's inviting us to build our lives on the absolute unchanging truth of who he is. And so if you're, you're new here, welcome. If you're just checking out Christianity, I invite you to ask the question, is Jesus who he says he is? Let's get into it right from the very get-go. Because there is no more important question in the world. 
and there's no more important answer that will change your life just as it's changed mine. Is Jesus who he says he is? Talk to the person you came with. Or you can come talk to me or any of the staff or the elders because there's no more important question because there's no more important truth claim. The other thing we need to notice about the first few words of verse 1 is that it's actually the final piece of a series of seven I am statements that Jesus describes himself with in the Gospel of John, this book that we're looking at. So if we want to know who Jesus is, we want to get the full picture that John is painting for us, we need to look at all these statements together because each statement is like a different brushstroke of the same painting. They come, they come together and overlay on each other so that together they give us a full picture of who Jesus is in all his depth and color and beauty and glory. So before we go on, we need to quickly go through each of these previous I am statements to, to see who Jesus is. 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is the bread of life. He is the one we are all hungry for. In a world where we are all hungry and thirsty for something more, where people are getting deeper and deeper into spirituality, Jesus says He is the bread of life. He is the only one who can nourish us spiritually. That hunger that we feel, only Jesus can satisfy that deep, deep, aching longing in our souls. 8.12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light of the world, Christ City. In the darkness of the world where everyone is lost and trying to figure out which way to go, Jesus is the light of life who comes into the world. He comes into the world to overcome the darkness of the world and to light up the path that we should live on. 10 verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is the door of the sheep and we are the sheep. In a world where everyone is looking for salvation, Jesus comes into the world to show us the way to salvation. And you know what? He is the way. He is the door. 10 verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd. In a world where leaders and authorities far too often sacrifice sheep for themselves, for themselves Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. 11.25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus is the resurrection and the, and the life. In a world where there is such deep fear of death and dying, Jesus comes in and says, you don't need to fear. Jesus comes in and says, I am the resurrection and the life. There is, Jesus is our only hope for true life. I'll guarantee that this is not all there is. 14 verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. In a world where the concept, the very concept of truth is breaking down and coming apart like sand falling through our fingers where we don't know who or what we can trust, Jesus is the one we can trust. He tells us that we were created to be with God and that He is the only way we can be with God. Christ City is Jesus who He says He is. 
He is the true vine. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the good shepherd. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Last week from Colossians, we learned that Jesus is before all things. By Him, all things were created. In Him, all things hold together. He rules over us, even right now, even at this very moment, even as we all sit here, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father to rule with authority over all authorities, over all powers. Jesus says these things, and He is all these things, but also, get this, we we need to hear this, Jesus is all these things, but He also loves us. Let that sit for a moment. The God who is over all and in all and through all everything is made and upheld, that God loves you. Even as we need to talk about who Jesus is, we also need to talk about who we are in Jesus. And the first thing we need to know is this, we are loved. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Abide in my love, it says in verse 9. Verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Christ City, God loves you. Before we go any further, God loves you. And if if you're sitting there going, yeah, I know, no, you don't. Because this is the truth that is woven throughout all of Scripture because God knows that is the truth that we need to weave our whole life together, to keep our whole life together. It starts and ends with this. Christ City, God loves you. It's not just a truth for the kids downstairs. It's a truth for adults and kids everywhere. God loves you. God doesn't just love you. He loves you with the greatest love. There's nothing else like it. He loves you so much that the God of the universe put, laid down His life for you. The best description of God's love for us that I know of is in the Jesus Storybook Bible, that great theological masterpiece, which describes God's love as this, a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. God loves you with a never stopping, never giving up, all unbreaking, always and forever love. Christ City, God's love is a constant that will never change and that isn't going anywhere. And I wonder how many of us need to be reminded of that today. I know I did. This week, as I was preparing for this sermon, I was thinking through all the things I wanted to say. I couldn't get past this. It's a bit like when you're walking with a kid through a dark room. I don't know if you've done that before. And it's so dark that they can't see you or anything else around. So they're always calling out to check, aren't they? Are you still here? Are you still here? Are you still here? Christ City, God is still here. And He's not going anywhere. And He loves us. That's never going to change. Even when it's dark and we can't see Him, God is still here and He loves us. Even when we're so busy and overwhelmed that we forget about God, He still loves us. Even when we're in a new city, in a new school, in a new workplace, in a new house, and everything seems so new and overwhelming, 
God loves you. Same God. Even when we've done something terrible and feel so guilty and feel like we don't deserve God's love or even that we can't, we're not allowed to deserve God's love, He still loves us. Even when we feel lost and God feels far away, even when we're in pain and it feels like God has forgotten us, He still loves us. Christ, did you hear this? Because in our culture, that so often bases our identity and worth on our feelings and circumstances, it's so easy to become lost and confused, isn't it? Lost and confused when our feelings suddenly become unclear or when our circumstances change. Christ City, through the changing tides of life, whether the sea is calm or the storm is raging, let the unchanging love of God be the anchor for our souls. Because God is here and He's not going anywhere. In Jesus, we are loved, but we are also His friends. In a city where article after article has been written about how it is so difficult to make friends, verse 15 stands out, doesn't it? No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus brings us into his confidence. He shares everything he has heard from the Father. It's like when you're walking into a room and two people are having clearly a private conversation and you go in and they jump and, they, and you jump and you go, I can come back later. And they go, no, 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 you can stay. And then one says to the other, he's my friend, she's my friend. Whatever you were telling me, I can, I'm just going to tell my friend anyway. Whatever the Father has told Jesus, all his motives and purposes and promises, Jesus tells us because we are his friends. We, it's like we're coming into the conversation and the Father and the Son are talking and rather than say, get out of the room, Jesus says, come on over. <laughs> come on over, listen up. Nothing is too sensitive. Nothing is too important, too private. Everything, everything Jesus has heard from the Father, He makes known to us. Why? Not because we paid for the access, but because we are His friends. That's incredible, and we need to spend some time thinking about that. The God who is before all things, who rules over all things, in whom all things hold together, He is our friend. The God who created the universe by the power of His Word, that same God befriends us and reveals Himself to us. By what? By the power of that same Word. But even as you talk about being God's friends, we must be careful to understand what God means when He says we are His friends. Because we all have, honestly, slightly different understandings of what friendship is. And so we need to use God's understanding and not ours. If not, it's going to become very confusing. Verse 12, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus reveals to us everything he has heard from the Father because we are his friends. But notice something else going on here in verse 12. We are his friends by opens with, this is my commandment. We are Jesus' friends, but he still commands us. We are Jesus' friends, but we are still to obey His commands because we are not just Jesus' friends, He is also our King. 
It's like if you work in an organization and you're, you happen to be friends with the boss. You're his friend, but he's also your boss. You're his friend, but he still has the authority to tell you what to do at work. We are Jesus' friends, but he is also our king. We are Jesus' friends, but he still has the authority to tell us how to live, and our role is to obey. But then moving on to the next verse in verse 14, Jesus says something that seems a little odd at first. He says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Sounds a bit strange, doesn't it? Verse 14 makes it sound like our friendship with Jesus is conditional on obeying him. It makes it sound like we obey Jesus in order to be his friends. But we need to be clear, that's not what is going on at all. Scholar Don Carson very helpfully puts it this way. He says, Jesus is not saying that obedience makes us his friends. He's saying that obedience characterizes us as his friends. Do you see the difference? Jesus is not saying that obedience makes us his friends. He's saying that obedience characterizes us as his friends. If you are his friend, then this is how you should live. As Jesus' friends, Jesus is teaching us how to live as his friends. Jesus is teaching us how to become who we already are. Jesus is teaching us how to become who we already are. It's like that story in the Chronicles of Narnia. Shasta is a nobody with absolutely nothing, the servant of a poor fisherman. But then the king discovers that Shasta is actually his long-lost son, which makes Shasta a prince. And in that moment, everything changes. Shasta's given a new name, a new title. He's taught to dress differently, to walk differently, to talk differently, not in order to be a prince, but because he is a prince. Christ City, God calls us to walk differently and talk differently, not in order to be his friends, but because we are his friends. Not in order to be children of the king, but because we are children of the king. It's really important we get this right and we, because we so often get it mixed up, don't we? We can never earn our way to becoming friends with God, to becoming children of the King because the price is a cost that we cannot afford. Only one man could afford it. Only Jesus could afford it and on that cross, He paid the price to save us. On that cross, He bore the penalty of our sin at the cost of His own life so that by faith, we can all be God's friends. So that by faith, we can all be children of the King. It is as God's friends, as children of the King, that God teaches us. In in His grace, He lights the way to show us how we are to live. In His grace, He gives us His Spirit so that we can become who we already are in Jesus. So that we can live as His friends. So that we can live as His children, which is our third point. How we are to live in Jesus. But even if you get to point three, it is built on point one and two. How we are to live is built on who God is and who we are in Christ. Chapter 15 summarizes how we are to live in three words, abide in Jesus. To abide is a word we don't use often nowadays. It means to remain, to to continue in, to be rooted in Jesus. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you, Jesus says. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. 
for apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to see something here, and it's so important that we do. The key to living as followers of Jesus is to abide in Jesus. Jesus is the vine, and we are the branches. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. The branches are completely dependent on the vine for all its nutrients and growth. Apart from the vine, the branches can't do anything. In fact, the moment you cut the branch off the vine, the branch is dead. Christ City, do we remember that we are branches? Or do we sometimes forget and think that we are the vine? In the busyness of life, in, in, the overwhelm, in the overwhelming ocean that is everyday experience, do we sometimes try to push ourselves away from God, cut ourselves off from God and try to live as the vine instead of the branches? Are we dependent on Jesus for everything we are and everything we do? Are we abiding in Jesus? Jesus then goes on to tell us what it means to abide in Him. To abide in Him, in one sense, means to abide in His words. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. In one sense, to abide in Jesus' words means to read and meditate on God's words so regularly and so deeply that everything we wish for will be done for us. You know why? Because we are so rooted and in, in God's word that everything we wish for is completely aligned with God's will. That is why at Christ City, our preaching is expositional, meaning we just preach through passages of the Bible. We just want to open up what God's Word says, whether a youth or women's Bible study or our Sunday gatherings. The preacher has nothing of value to say. Power comes only from God's Word, and our job is just to explain and open up God's Word. To abide in Jesus means to abide in His words, but also to abide in His love. Verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. To abide in Jesus' love means to abide in the truth of who Jesus is and the truth of who we are in Him because of His sacrifice for us. Abiding in Jesus, in His words and in His love are at the very heart of living for Jesus because before we talk about what we are to do for Christ, we must start with what Christ has done for us, who He is and who we are in Him. That's why even during the scripture reading, when we read through this part of chapter 15, we see that Jesus' commands are intertwined with abiding in Him. Let me just read verses 9 to 11. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. We abide in Jesus' love by keeping His commandments, by abiding in His love, by keeping His commandments. And it goes on and on and on. Keeping Jesus' commandments are completely intertwined with abiding in His love. You can't have one without the other. When my wife Jess and I, when we got married, we made vows to each other, promises on how we were to live with each other as husband and wife. Now, there are two ways to view uh, wedding vows. The first way is driven by obligation. Viewing the vows as a chore, as obligations that constrain my freedom. Things I have to keep in order to stay married. The second way is driven by love rejoicing in the fact that I get to love her as my wife and I get to love her by keeping my vows to her. The first way leads to resentment. The second way leads to joy. 
The first way focuses on the vows and sees them as restrictions and sees them as loss. The second way focuses on my wife and, and sees how lovely and beautiful she is. And as I focus on my wife, as I abide in my love for her and her love for me, you know what happens? I want to keep those vows. It's a joy to keep those vows. And as I keep those vows, you know what happens? I love her more and more and more and I abide in her love for me more and more and more. Christ City, God doesn't want our behavior. He wants our heart. Don't start with the command. Start with how much God loves us. Don't start with the command. Start with how lovely and beautiful our King is. And as God's love drives us to obey His commands, as we keep in step with His Spirit that enables us to keep His commands, you know what happens? We will see even more so how lovely and beautiful God is. And as we see how much God loves us and how lovely and beautiful God is, you know what will happen? Our hearts are drawn to want to love Him by keeping His commandments. We want to love Him by keeping His commandments because that gives us joy. God doesn't want our behavior. He wants our heart. God doesn't just want our external behavior. He wants all of us. God doesn't call us to bitter, engrudging, and resentful rule-keeping. He calls us the fullness of joy. Fullness of joy that can only come through obedience, that can only come through abiding in Jesus' love. For those of us who are praying for people in our lives to come to Christ, perhaps family members, perhaps friends, perhaps colleagues, in our desire for that they would have joy in our desire for them to have salvation, it is sometimes tempting to want to settle for external obedience. As long as they come to church, I think that's fine. As, as long as they don't do this, as long as they don't do that, yeah, I think, I think it's fine. Christ City, don't settle for second best. Christ wants their heart and only He can win their heart. And so we pray for their heart. We do what we can. But let's remember what only God can do. So as we abide in our love for God, God commands us, He does command us, to love one another. Verse 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Christ City, do we love one another? When all is said and done, Christianity is not just about rejoicing in my identity in Christ. No, it's living out my identity in Christ. As I am loved, so I love others. Even as we abide in Christ, do we love one another? Just as Jesus loves us, do we love one another? Just as Jesus laid down his life for us, here's where the rubber hits the road, do we lay down our lives for one another? Is our first question to ask, what's in it for me, or is it, how can I help? Is our instinct to consumption or construction? Is it to build up others or to build up ourselves? To sacrifice others or to sacrifice ourselves for others. To focus on our own good or the good of others. 
Now, I want to be clear here. Jesus is not saying, give up everything you have till you drop. There is a way in that we mistake what service and loving others look like, and we do what we're not supposed to do. What we are called to do is to love one another and to ask Jesus, on this, based on the circumstances I have, on the ability I have, the capacity I have, without comparing myself to anyone else, what do you want me to do? Christ City, do we love one another just as Jesus loves us with our church family, with our family, with our friends, with our community and with our colleagues? Do we love one another just as Jesus loves us? So Christ City, let's abide in Jesus. If you want one practical takeaway, let's start every day with abiding in Jesus. Just ask, am I abiding in Jesus? And let's end every day with abiding in Jesus. Have I abided in Jesus? And as we abide in Jesus, let's love one another. Let's love one another with, with, with a love that has no comparison. Let's love one another as Jesus loves us. And let's pray that God would use us to bear much fruit. Much fruit in our households, in our neighbourhoods, in our city and beyond. Christ City, no one argues with love because there's something in all of us that, that recognises the supernatural thing that is love. Christ City, would we love one another just as Jesus loves us so that Christ would bear much fruit through us in this city and that he would be glorified. Let's stand as we respond to God's word together.